Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. How do you two know each other? I'm in a comedy channel called Funhouse, which is like comedy gameplays, sketches, etc. And we really tried to capitalize on the Game Grumps success at one point. We said, how can we get them in our content, be in their content? No, we just thought the Game Grumps were really great. Mutually, like everyone at Grumps loved Funhouse and everything you guys were doing, for sure. Oh, thanks. We were just left at any chance to collaborate with you all. We did a couple streams together, right? Yeah, and when you were doing Dream Daddy, we came by for a Dream Daddy stream. That's right, of course. And I did see Leighton then, and I was totally intimidated because I was like, she looks super cool, composed, knows what's <laughs> up. I was like, that's what I would like to be. <laughs> wow, that that means a lot. If that was when I think it was, boy, was I not together. <laughs> I was a fucking wreck. None of us were sleeping. <laughs> it was just like, this is the most stressful thing that's ever happened to me. Was that the stream where like, you decided midstream or right after to postpone the launch a little bit? Is that the one? Or is that a different one? Uh, could have been a different one. I don't know. Was a little too busy stress vomiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to really, I, was that the one where Audrey came in and she wanted have pink glasses and then our, our team ended up adding pink glasses. I don't know if it was that one or if there was another one. Wow. That feels like so fucking long ago. And Elise, you guys just came over to just be a part of the stream and, and hang out and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Lovely. Well, thanks both of you for being there during that trying time. <laughs> <laughs> I was so into Dream Daddy and impressed by it. And Layton, are you 23? I am. So you were... I was 19. Wow, that's so impressive. Isn't that wild? <laughs> Thank you both. And Brian, you were how old when Dream Daddy came out? Uh, 64. Oh, wow. So old. Wow. <laughs> when you were going to school, did you have to, you know, go uphill both ways on a brontosaurus? Yeah. Well, we called brontosaurus the internet back then because we didn't have the real internet. So I had to ride the internet <laughs> uphill both ways to school. And now we're still riding the internet. I'm 35 and I feel disconnected by the day. I keep seeing Corpse Party trending on Twitter and I don't know what it means. Oh, neither do I. My actual age is 45. So I would have been, what, 42 or something when it came out. But yes, probably around 35, I was just like, I'm never going to know what's going on ever again. And then you just learn to embrace <laughs> it and move on with your life. And then, of course, I had a kid when I was, whatever, 40, I guess, 39 maybe. Then you're just like, well, now I really give up because I can't leave the house for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then it just feels like that's like, all right, officially old now. And then you play into it to irritate your child as all fathers do. Oh, yes. So you really feel disconnected now, Elise? 
I try to still be part of the zeitgeist, but then every once in a while I'll see a hashtag that's specifically about something that's kind of risen up in internet culture. And I'm not sure where people are having these discussions or seeing these things that they're on the cusp of this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like where's the secret password internet club where everyone's hanging out? Is it Club Penguin? Did we go back to Club Penguin? Oh, no. It's back, isn't it? I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are going to have to tell me what Club Penguin is because I have no earthly idea. You know, on old weekend update where Bill Hader would come on as Stefan and describe clubs, it's it's that, but online for children. Yeah, it had everything. Penguins, mini games. <laughs> <laughs> mini games, uh, royalty-free <laughs> stock music. But I guess it was this major social hub for children to play games and probably bully each other. Oh, yeah. It was in some kind of kerfuffle with Disney, I want to say. Yes. Did we have Club Penguin in an episode title recently? Two episodes ago. Yeah, and I just kind of let it wash over me and never questioned it. (laughs) Hold on. I'm reading the Google reviews for Club Penguin, and I opened up one-star reviews. I would give this game zero stars if I could, but you guys are clearly too insecure, so you force at least one star to be given. Well, listen up. Club Penguin is a dirty app for rotten little kids. (laughs) (laughs) If you still use Club Penguin, you are literally the scum of the earth. I am truly disgusted and embarrassed for you and the creators of this toxic environment. I logged on today looking forward to making new friends and nurturing my puffles like the loving, caring, hardworking single mother I am. Oh my God. Much to my dismay, my puffles have been ripped from my home and are nowhere to be found. I had 11. One even belonged to my poor six-year-old. What's a puffle? Like a puffin? You could pay to have little fuzzball pets. What, the penguin gets a pet? Yeah, yeah. You keep them in your little igloo. I don't know what the politics of the social casts of the penguin world are, but I do know everybody's trying to tip that iceberg. This was going to be one of my peaches later on, but this is so appropriate for what we're talking about now that I will say it here. We went to a zoo yesterday and went by the penguin exhibit. And there was a penguin standing in the middle of the penguin enclosure, just doing this. (laughs) 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 And Rachel (laughs) made a gesture like she was slowly squeezing a horn, like grabbing (laughs) the penguin from either side of it and slowly squeezing it. Because it really sounded like this penguin was inflating And then just letting the air out. I've never seen a penguin make that sound before. It was trying to establish sexual dominance, probably. (laughs) I felt like it because it was definitely a pretty big one. I wouldn't have been surprised if it was a male, but all the other penguins were just kind of watching it. Like, what's going on here? So that, that feels right to me for sure. Do you think it was the one that everyone's always bothered by? They're like, oh, there goes Gary again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what is it this time, Gary? He seemed very annoying. A couple of penguins absolutely moved away during the noise making. (laughs) They don't want to be associated with him. I'm just bringing it back around to Club Penguin, just obsessed with Club Penguin. Yes, please. They had a bunch of different servers and you would go to school and be like, all right, I'm going to be on this server tonight. But then there was this like, pirate penguin that if you were in the same server as him, you would get like a very sought after like clothing item. And so it was like a big deal to get into one of these and the entire screen would just be like packed with overlapping penguins who are all like chat screaming at the same time. <laughs> um, it was totally worth it for that sick red coat though. So when you're in this thing, your avatar is a penguin? Is that? Yeah, that's what Club Penguin is. <laughs> <laughs> that, look, a lot of things are called weird shit and have nothing to do with the title. So 
It's not necessarily. You say that like it should have been obvious, Layton, and I want to take issue with that because— No, Brian, they're literal penguins. Look up Club Penguin. Well, that's what I'm asking about. How did you interact with other people? Did you chat or voice chat? It's like text chat, and I think eventually they changed it to you can select pre-written phrases like out of a really convoluted menu so people would stop you know, bullying each other and asking to be their Club Penguin girlfriend, etc. And how old were you when you were doing this? Like nine, ten, maybe? It was a real heyday for uh, virtual pets. Wait, you were on the internet with strangers when you were nine? <laughs> Loosen up, Brian. Jeez. Yeah, I started at seven, bro. <laughs> My brain's totally normal as a result. We've been thinking about this because, you know, Audrey is six and a half. She'll be seven in May. And I've been thinking, like, when does she start? using the internet, like, to talk with people. And it feels so young right now. Yeah, that is crazy young. I don't recommend letting your seven-year-old talk to strangers online, but I was very determined, and I was trying to code my own websites and just start shit on the Nancy Drew forums. Yes. <laughs> I do think that there is that kind of independence where it's like, yes, kids might get into a little bit of trouble, but there's a learning side to it. Like, Leighton, you probably wouldn't have explored doing that, and it wouldn't have led to you having career success if you had not been on Club Penguin. I'm going to stake my reputation <laughs> on that. <laughs> and you know, I owe it all to Club Penguin. I was into Neopets for a little bit. It was fun. You go get your free omelet every day. You spin that tree wheel or whatever the fuck. Like, the Flash games were super fun. Yeah. What was your, like, go-to Flash game there? I've heard of this, but I don't really know what a Neopet is. So can you give me some context? Yeah, so you would get kind of this, much like Club Penguin, you would have your surrogate avatar Neopet that you could choose a species and then you would name it and give it attributes. And you would have to do daily tasks like feeding it. You could play mini games to accumulate points that you would use toward buying your pet things. Some of us got more obsessed with the accumulation of points rather than caring for our pet. <laughs> I would get notifications that my pet was basically on the verge of death. Yeah. There were these specialty paintbrushes you could collect. <laughs> and so I got really into the paintbrush market. And Mr. Tibbs Jr., he was not long for this world. I don't know where he is now. What type of animal was Mr. Tibbs Jr.? He was like a fuzzball. All of the creatures are just kind of like strange, fantastical beings, a lot of which were like really ugly. And then the cuter ones, there was like a really high demand for. And apparently in the past like decade or so, because like the business has changed hands and stuff, they did this overhaul. I was reading about this on one of my favorite subreddits, r slash hobby drama. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, I love that sub because it's not stupid shit where people are mad. It's like, here's this very niche hobby in the thing that everybody's mad about. And we're going to explain everything. That rules. I want to read this right now. Oh my God, it's my favorite. There are two really incredible ones. One is about a sort of cult religion that emerged around Severus Snape from Harry Potter, where all these women were calling themselves Snape wives. Oh God. So highly recommend the Snape wives story. And then like the whole saga of the fandom around Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. What? There's so much fucking <laughs> porn fan art of that guy. <laughs> it's wild. This was on hobby drama? Yeah, yeah, they do incredible write-ups from, like, any topic you could possibly want. Wait, I have more questions. <laughs> yes, please, please. Was there hump fetishization at all? No, because people were into Frollo. I'm not sure which that is. He's the evil, racist, almost bad man for some reason. Wait, wait, so both things you just talked about are people sexually fetishizing evil or somewhat evil 
characters. Yes, and getting into lots and lots of fights about it. <laughs> Snape wives I have heard of. Yeah, like the early aughts, like Harry Potter fandom forum drama is so wild. I don't think this is a hobby drama post, but like there's a super long write-up of this person who went by the handle Miss Scribe which is like one of my favorite long form stories on the internet because it's totally true. And it chronicles this like fan fiction writer who was pretending to be like dozens of sock puppet accounts. <laughs> I just love weird pocket of the internet history. It's super fun. Going back to Neopets, because I am straight up going to forget what I was talking about. There was a whole thing where like when you had your creature, it was like a static image of the creature. It's literally like, this is my PNG who I'm going to feed food. So at a certain point, they changed the character art. Like they revamped the designs and like they do not look as good as the old ones. I bet people love that when they redesigned the pets. Oh yeah, they were so excited. <laughs> but basically, if you had like a pre-change Neopet, you could keep that original art. And so there became this huge like black market trading for these rare Neopets that like tons of people were paying real world money, like getting scammed. To answer your question, Layton, my favorite game was Destructo Match. What is Destructo Match? It was a kind of a block clicker where there was a pyramid of blocks and you had to click them. <laughs> I'm describing no. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the worst an appetizing way. No, totally. I used to play that game with my mom's MySpace boyfriend. <laughs> Hold on, I need a second. Okay, excuse me. Let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> okay. The, I used to play that. I got it. With my mom's MySpace boyfriend. Were you playing with him online? Yeah. It was either you could do multiplayer or like we were on a voice call. I literally don't remember. I also think my mom was getting catfished. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't want to pry into the relationship, but did it ever extend beyond MySpace? <laughs> no, it didn't. Oh my God. This is like a whole thing. <laughs> I am smiling ear to ear right now with the idea of you playing Destructo Blocks with some guy who's catfishing your mom. Oh, it makes me so happy. <laughs> oh, I was so happy about it because he paid for me. He like would send me money to use on Club Penguin. <laughs> and so I was like, this guy is pretty cool. Well, now this just sounds creepy and awful. Oh, it was. <laughs> okay. What a time capsule of a bygone era. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, could you think of a more, let's call it 2005 sentence? Oh, yeah. Does that sound about right, 2005? Yeah, around there. I think he still had his card on file for, like, Club Penguin, even after they broke up or whatever the fuck happened there. I was like, I'm still getting the benefits from this. Please don't figure it out. I don't want to lose my puffles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was thinking about this the other day. Catfished, in the broadest sense, just means pretending to be someone you're not online, right? Like having some online personality that is not you right? Yes. Yes. Duplicitously tricking you into thinking there's something they're not. Yes. But it's not specifically a romantic thing, right? I think you could apply it to, yes, anyone deceiving you with their ported personality. Yeah. Brian, did you ever watch the original Catfish documentary? Yeah, for sure. I didn't watch the TV show, but I did watch the documentary. I remember very little about it in terms of actual facts. Wasn't it unclear how real it was like, or has it now come out that it was a hoax of some kind? Or was that just something people were saying? Or is it something I'm imagining? I don't recall hearing anything about it being a hoax. I loosely remember, like in the movie, he was catfished by a woman who claimed to be 
a younger woman. Her daughter, basically, right? Yes. But then I don't even think the daughter existed. And the woman was also married and had a family. It was like a middle-aged woman who pretended to be some, like, I don't know, 19-year-old or something. Yeah. Or did we all get catfished by catfish? (laughs) I could have sworn, and I'm reluctant to say this because this just could be wildly wrong. I seem to recall some articles about whether the whole thing was a hoax and whether the catfish, the movie, was catfishing people. Yeah. Based on a cursory Google, which now makes me an expert on the subject. Yes, indeed. I know how the internet works. Thanks, Layton. (laughs) (laughs) The TV show is very fake. I don't see anything about the movie. Okay, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Wait, authenticity. Okay, okay. Wait, is that a tab on Wikipedia? Yes, it is. That's how you know it's good. Great. (laughs) We as a society got catfished by James Frey with his A Million Little Pieces autobiography. Do you remember that? Yes. No. Well, at least you want to describe it. I never read the book, but James Frey wrote a memoir detailing, I think, his severe drug abuse and decline and then how he got out of that life and rehabilitated himself. And it was like an Oprah's book club, huge hit book, Mm. right? Oprah had him on the show. It was such a big deal. He became her boy (laughs) for like a a time. It was like, you know, Oprah's parading around James Frey as a success story. But then ultimately it came out that he manufactured it. Yeah, it was just fiction, essentially, right? Yeah. Did he go on Oprah and repent live or something? I feel like that's true, yeah. Because this was like 10 years ago now, I'd say. Maybe longer. Yeah. Oprah's web redemption. What if Oprah just rebranded and became Oprah.0? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking recently, there have been so many of these people making shit up kind of things, right? Hilaria Baldwin. Yes, well, of course, famously. (laughs) First of all, I know it's probably a common name, but Hilaria, it just sounds like the word hilarious. And I can't ever look at it (laughs) and not think that it sounds like a fake name someone made up while trying to be funny. Like she was like, I'll pretend I'm Spanish and it'll be hilarious. Yeah, exactly. That's 100% (laughs) what I'm saying. Yep. But Jonah Lehrer, right? Wasn't that the guy? He was like a New Yorker writer, like famous think piece type person. And he was doing this thing where he... He was just literally making up Bob Dylan quotes. (laughs) And someone like started looking it up and they were like, I don't think Bob Dylan ever said that. And he was like, yeah, I did. Don't worry about it. And then they started looking into it and they were like, okay, well, but where? And he's like, oh, it's just in this thing. And they started really going through his pieces because he would write about science and stuff. By the way, if I'm completely butchering this, everybody, I apologize. That's like half this show. Yeah. I remember he had one big piece about, it really made me mad. It was about how like science is getting less effective because people can't replicate studies. I thought it was complete (laughs) bullshit. But basically this one guy who was like, started poking around on this thing about Bob Dylan quotes and couldn't find it, ended up pulling the thread that unraveled this dude's entire career. Wow. And it turned out he was just like literally making shit up all the time. And went from, you know, one of the preeminent, like, pop science writers to persona non grata. Jeez. Oh, I think I read about this guy in one of John Ronson's books. I forget which one. Oh, yeah. So you've been publicly shamed. Great book. Yeah, great book. Did y'all read The Woman in the Window? No. That movie that they adapted it into an Amy Adams thing. I don't know if that's out. It's like going after Gone Girl, like trash paperback. Do you know this, Elise? Yeah, I listened to it several, several years ago and thought it was just okay. 
Yeah, it's very just okay. But there was this whole profile that was written about the guy that was basically unraveling that his like entire career has been like scamming upwards. Um, and that like he was lying about having cancer and like about having a brother. And like, it's a fascinating read. It's called The Woman in the Window? Yeah, that's the name of the book. The read about the guy is way more interesting <laughs> than the actual book. Has either of you ever been scammed? Like, on a large scale? I haven't, but now I feel like Streisand effect, I will be. <laughs> like, I'm opening myself up to it. <laughs> <laughs> no! I'm going to buy some. I'm going to hand a man that comes to my door $5,000 for new windows, and I'll never see him again, is what I feel like is going to happen to me. <laughs> yeah, I haven't either. I mean, obviously, it happens all the time, but I don't know anyone personally that I feel like has been the target and victim of a real scam. Certainly, I know people have tried to pull shit over on others, and it just didn't work. But I don't know anyone who's been target of a real huge scam. I'd be interested in hearing stories from like listeners if anyone's been scammed. I fall prey to the, you know, this the Milli Vanilli type scams. Wait, hold on. Layden, do you know what Milli Vanilli is? Yes, of course. Of course. Okay, don't say yes, of course. It's a 90s thing. I fall prey to the charming Europop duos that win me over <laughs> <laughs> with, with their sultry sounds. You buy the records, you buy the cassettes, you buy, I didn't buy any of this actually, but you buy them all and then it comes out, it wasn't even them. What were Millie Vanilli's names? It was like Rod and Jed. Van Wink? No, no, no. I'm thinking of Vanilla Ice. It's Rob Van Winkle. Rob and Flav or something like that? <laughs> Millifer and Vanilla. <laughs> Vanillafer. <laughs> Vanillafer. <laughs> Speaking of fucking pop duos, are you familiar with like Tattoo, the, I guess it was late 90s, mid-aughts, where it was the Russian music duo that was pretending to be lesbian? Oh, yes. No, I am not familiar with this at all. Yeah, it was a whole thing where they were like playing into this image of being together, but like not directly. It's very strange, but you know, we do love all the things she said. It's a bop. It's still running through my head. <laughs> And they were, you know, pretending to be in this relationship and that they were oppressed for it. Guess how many monthly listeners they have on Spotify currently. Two billion. Billion? Seems unrealistic to you. I've never seen anyone with more than like 50 million or something. Let's look. Who's the most popular? Yeah, man. I'm throwing out billion with a B for bit purposes, Brian. That's bit with a B. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> the weekend, to give you some sense of scale, has 68 million current monthly listeners. Yeah. So two billion for tattoo sounds right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's right. Actually, you nailed it. I was just questioning. It's two and a half million. All right. I'm going to listen to all the things she said to see if I've ever heard this song. Oh, you have. Yeah. I'm not sure I have. I guess you would not have been found in a Hot Topic circa 2002. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've heard this. Tattoo champions of extremely low-rise bell-bottoms, flare jeans rather, I guess, as every single prominent woman in a certain period of time. So were they, although this didn't, I guess, exist, then quote-unquote canceled for this? No. No, I think they disbanded at a certain point. Yeah, well, it looks like they haven't released anything since... 2009-ish. I always kind of felt like Pussy Riot was the legit tattoo. Like, what <laughs> tattoo feigned as their oppression, Tootsie, uh, I was going to call them Tootsie Riot. Tootsie Riot. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's my band, is Tootsie Riot. <laughs> Tootsie Riot. But Pussy Riot was like, no, we're actually getting arrested and doing all this stuff. That's beautiful. Brian, what's your take on this song that you're hearing for the first time? Fine, I guess. Like, I'd want to sit down and actually listen to it, but the first 30 seconds did not particularly hook me. Mm, 
scathing. This seems like a good opportunity to introduce ourselves. Hell yeah. Everybody, this is Layton. Yo, what's up? That's me. That voice is Brian. Hi. Mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? My name is Elise Willems. I emailed Brian and Layton several weeks ago about my flat earther conspiracies uh, and asked <laughs> if I could be on the show. And they granted me a spot. So thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, go off. <laughs> it's just if you set up a protractor from the earth, you'll notice that. No, I don't actually, I do need to dive deeper in because I keep hearing about, you know, all these flat earthers owning themselves. They're very good at it. Yes. I need to dive into that whole realm, but I never do because I just fear it'll give me secondhand embarrassment. But I shouldn't feel embarrassed for the flat earthers, you know? No, definitely not. Literally yesterday while I was cleaning slash extremely not cleaning, I was listening to a bunch of Behind the Bastards episodes because that's like the only thing I listen to anymore and can focus on because I love hearing about terrible people. But they went through this like flat earth book and unsurprisingly, as with many popular conspiracy theories now, it really boils down to some good old fashioned anti-Semitism. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The Wait, the flat earth thing is anti-Semitic? How? How did they get there? Hold on. Can I guess? Sure. I'm not going to have the answer for you. Well, does it boil down to more of the, why are we listening to a bunch of Jewish scientists? Maybe that's part of it, but it's like, well, who's keeping it a secret that the earth is actually flat? Ah, of course. Like, it's just the dumbest shit you've ever heard in your life. Oh my God. Yep. As if I wasn't upset enough before <laughs> with the flat earth stuff. And here you are giving me a platform <laughs> for my outrageous views. Wow, I had no idea there was an anti I mean, I mean, it goes to the same thing with like lizard people, etc. Like a lot of this stuff has its roots there. Oh, okay, so we're just looking for an excuse to be fucking racist pieces of shit. Yeah, it's so disappointing. On a slightly lighter note, Rachel was <laughs> talking yesterday about, I guess it's an older video, some QVC host talking about the moon being a planet. Have you seen this? No. No. Are they selling us the moon? Well. <laughs> For the low, low price of $29.99 plus shipping and handling? <laughs> so not only am I going to be unsure about what I'm talking about, I'm going to be unsure about something I heard secondhand. So this is really going to be uh, <laughs> peak podcasting. Apparently, there was some like shopping network type host who <laughs> was talking about the moon or something. And she was like, okay, but the moon is a planet, right? And her co-host was like, no, it's not a planet. And she's like, yeah, but then what is it? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and we were driving when we were talking about this. The other thing that I thought was really funny is Rachel said, it's like a shopping thing. So they have a bunch of like models or people holding shit up in the background so they can display it. And apparently, you know, the people who are just paid to stand there in the background and look nice while these wares are being hawked, apparently they start making eyes at this co-host and like shaking their head like, shut up, you're stupid. And we asked Audrey, I was like, Audrey, is the moon a planet? And she goes, no. And I said, what is it? And she goes, it's a satellite. It orbits the earth. I was like, okay, great. Thank you. So I have a, a smart daughter, but that's not really the point of the story. I also didn't look up this video. I really dropped the ball on this. How dare you not thoroughly research things that you think of on the spot? <laughs> no. Tragic. Somehow it looks like my strategy of doing absolutely no preparation for this has come back to bite me. <laughs> Is this a recent QVC? Okay, let's look it up now. I'm going to look up QVC host the moon. Though I don't know why my brain is like, oh, it'd be acceptable for someone in the 80s to not know that. <laughs> But now it's like, no, it was not acceptable then. 
Also, just like the idea of footage from QVC from the 80s just sounds like terribly cursed. Like you're about to watch some creepypasta shit go down. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm putting this in the chat. I believe this is what she's referring to, and it looks like it's from 2015. Oh, a boyfriend length cardigan. (laughs) (laughs) Did you say boyfriend length? Yeah, that's what they just said. Do you know what the nomenclature of boyfriend clothing means, Brian, in terms of women's clothes? I do not, but it doesn't mean slightly larger as like your boyfriend might be a little taller than you. So it's like clothes that's a little too big. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. The idea being that if you were to throw on your boyfriend's sweater, this is the fit it would have. And this is a standard thing. Oh yeah. Boyfriend jeans, boyfriend hoodie. That seems super problematic from a wide variety of viewpoints, right? I don't see what's problematic about it. They clearly are ethically sourcing it by taking these clothes from four boyfriends everywhere and then hawking them to women. That's praxis, guys. That's feminism. Yes, queen girl boss. It's like they don't think that I would buy the dumpy woman collection because I would. (laughs) I do and I would. Elise, I wanted to get back to something you were talking about earlier, which is, do you consider yourself a YouTuber? It's difficult because, <laughs> because I think that that name has some negative connotations sometimes. Yes. And I guess I do make content that goes on YouTube, but I've always thought of myself more as a producer and performer mm-hmm. and creative and all those things that give myself a much more impressive sounding title than what I actually do. I think those are 100% accurate too, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. It's like figuring out if you're in a lift and the driver is asking you what you do, like I similarly will be extremely cagey about it of like, oh, freelancer, we don't got to talk about it. It's fine. Yeah. Do you have something that specifically that you say? Because I always say that I'm a content creator for a digital production company. That's smart. I say musician. Now, if I have to really just lock down on one thing, I say musician. And then if I feel slightly more talkative, I will say musician slash YouTuber. Oof, that's brave. It'll change for me. Like, I'll say that I, like, work with a touring company, which is technically true if doing some art shit for real good touring counts, because it's like, oh, that sounds boring. Don't ask me about it. Don't force me to say the words dream daddy inside of a car (laughs) that I paid to drive me somewhere. Well, where I was going with this was I am very interested being, I'm one of the older YouTubers I know, personally. And of course, as the platform ages, people age up with it, but still probably at 35, at least you're older than most YouTubers, whatever that means. Do you think that's a fair statement? A hundred percent. I don't know who Corpse Party is and I'm (laughs) shopping the Dumpy Woman collection. So I, (laughs) I, I definitely feel that. And it's unfortunate because To me, it shouldn't be more than just a different distribution platform, but there is this kind of ageism assigned to it, too. Totally. And now it feels like a lot of the even younger people, of course, are on TikTok. So I'm very interested in what happens as these platforms show up and then attract younger and younger people and the people on the existing platforms age up with it or branch off into the new stuff or basically as you get this kind of stratification by age, which roughly, I don't know, I have any data for this, but roughly correlates with the age of the platform. I find I have such a weird YouTube career in so many senses, like NSP, we put out music videos, like when they're ready, which is not mm-hmm. that often. It's like once every several months. So my personal involvement with YouTube is so weird and idiosyncratic. I find it very interesting to talk to people who consider themselves older than your typical YouTuber and the way they 
do things. So that's kind of the angle that I'm approaching this from. Yeah. And I think maybe because I've always worked for a channel and it wasn't a personal venture that I started, I've always considered it more of like a job as opposed to a passion project. Because I do think a lot of people creating content for YouTube, it starts from a place of passion. And while I do love comedy and being creative, for me, it wasn't like it's my passion to start a channel. And, you know, it was more I'm looking for a way to facilitate having these ideas and doing the things I like to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about either of you, but I still am very much a person that watches just a lot of traditional media. And I don't really watch a ton on YouTube, Yes, which always feels pretty counterintuitive to the job I have. 100%. I don't ever watch anything on YouTube, generally speaking. The last thing I watched on YouTube was a worm dissection a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) I do not engage with YouTube that much. And I have to say, everything I watch is traditional. And by traditional, I mean streaming media. I'm pretty much the same, save for maybe a rare random Conan O'Brien video or like, oh, there's a Batman Forever documentary that Warner Brothers posted (laughs) from 1995. Like, (laughs) you know, I don't really have channels that I follow and I'm looking for what their newest video is. I don't look down on it. I think YouTube's wonderful. People are critical of it, but I do think there's so much creativity and potential that has come out of YouTube that wouldn't have existed without it. Yeah. But for me, I wish there was some way to legitimize a lot of the people that are doing the awesome things they're doing on YouTube, because I still think there's this kind of perception that those people that are doing really exceptional work and creating amazing content, that's not legitimate. Unless you're in TV and that's the way that you came up or film, you can't make that transition or what you're doing isn't considered like for you to be a legitimate creative. And I don't know if that's just my skewed perception or either of you feel that way. I feel that a million percent. Yeah. I don't want to speak for Dan, but at least for me, I do not feel like we are even acknowledged or regarded by the comedy community as a whole. And despite being by, I'd say most metrics, one of the more popular comedy Mm -hmm. acts out there, I don't really want to ascribe a because to it, because who the fuck knows? It's probably a complex constellation of things. But I feel like partly because we are coming from a YouTube point of view, and of course, there's this weird involvement with a gaming channel, like why is this comedy band associated with a gaming channel kind of stuff, I definitely feel like we do not get considered with comedy acts at our level in a traditional comedy space, 100%. It's sort of like traditional media outlets or companies do not take it seriously until they're like, oh, you you made a lot of money, explain this thing. Yep. (laughs) It's the money because people think that you can't make money on YouTube, which that's a complicated subject. For sure. I think about this kind of thing a lot. The legitimacy thing I think is really, really interesting because there's also a very valid point of view, which is who the fuck cares how legitimate other people think I am. Mm -hmm. And then you just do your own thing and it's great. But, you know, being totally honest, it matters to me if people view me as a legit comedian or not, whatever that means. And it is a thing that YouTubers are considered less legitimate by traditional media. And of course, I'm a walking contradiction because at the same time, like we said, Everything I consume is pretty much traditional media. So I'm not doing YouTubers any favors in the sense of watching their stuff as legitimate. The stuff that I watch is usually not on YouTube. Same. And I know there's an evolution to that because I'm sure 40 years ago when people were coming up through improv groups, you know, going into Second City and coming into SNL and stuff, there was this perception of, you know, you're just playing pretend. I came from vaudeville, you know, right. <laughs> I know what the real biz is like. <laughs> you haven't done stand up on Carson? Like, what do you know, kid? Totally. And I'm sure that this is just the next evolution. Yeah. So at least do you grew up in Toronto proper or where? 
I grew up in Toronto, yeah. Do you say Toronto or do you say Toronto? <laughs> I correctively say Toronto now because I had a lot of Canadianisms when I moved to America that I would get harangued about. So I <laughs> I consciously have changed the way that I say certain words. I used to say tomorrow, uh-huh. but now I kind of just say tomorrow. My husband always gives me a hard time because I'll reference something that's a Canadian thing, what we refer to it as. And he's like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Such as? Such as if you were to play a sport on a baseball diamond where you kick a ball and then you run the bases, what would you call that? I would call that kickball. Yes. We would call it soccer baseball. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if that's a regional Canadian thing where maybe if you're in Ontario, you might say that. What? And, you know, you would say colored pencils. We would say pencil crayons. Interesting. Somehow soccer baseball feels <laughs> like you're fucking with me. And my husband, James, he's like, you Canadians just say exactly what a thing is. Like, they don't try to come up with some flowery nomenclature for it. They're just like, it's soccer and it's baseball. Soccer, baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Americans are just like, ah, kickball. You kick the ball. Yeah. Wait, so what do you call a machine that you press on the button to get water to drink out of? Oh, like a water cooler or water fountain? Are you trying to get her to say bubbler? What's a bubbler? I mean, I'm just curious. I didn't know if bubbler stretched to Canada. Oh, is that a Midwestern thing? It's a very regional thing that people say in, I believe it's Wisconsin and then one other place. Is that place North Carolina, Layden? Did you say that? God, no. Okay. So there's like two completely disconnected. I have to look up the specifics. It's definitely something they say in Wisconsin. And there's some other place where they say it too. And I can't remember where that other place is. But it's a very, very regional thing, which is not even like a general Midwestern thing. Interesting. But my original question was, how would you pronounce the name of your home city? Toronto. People would say Toronto. Okay. But my question was going to be, let me see if I can say it correctly. Toronto is... (laughs) I mean, it's like a super comedy hub, right? It has this amazing comedy scene with endless numbers of people who completely rule coming out of there. Was that a big part of your childhood? I definitely look to those Canadian comedy icons, the Catherine O'Hara's, the Eugene Levy's. Yes. The first person I thought of, Catherine O'Hara, yes, the best. Martin Short. is. <laughs> I was rejoicing because Dan Levy hosted uh, SNL this past weekend. Yeah, I watched it. Uh, my husband turned to me and said, oh, finally, they got some Canadians on SNL. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> because those are kind of the people that my heroes. And I still think Toronto has amazingly funny people now. One of my favorite places that I used to go to that I still go to when I go back home is the Comedy Bar. Oh, I've performed there, yeah. Did you really? Yeah, NSP did a oh. sketch festival, and that was uh, one of the venues, yeah. That, for me, would be a big homecoming thing to ever do something there because, you know, I started going to that bar when it opened and has some of the funniest improvisers I've ever seen. I once saw a show there that it was Greg Proops and Colin Mockery on a team. Oh, that's awesome. Ooh. And they lost to the home team. Oh, nice. Which, to me, was just a testament of how funny the people there are. But, yeah, I have a big soft spot for seeing Canadians... There's a different Canadian sentiment. We're all so self-deprecating, of course, but we all love really bleak things. Yep. <laughs> I was listening to someone recently saying, you know, you can get a Canadian's interest when you tell them about something bad that happened. <laughs> There's a terrible news story or tragedy that happened, and Canadians are like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, did you, you know. I'm curious what, like, the cultural breakdown of Canada is. It, I mean this in terms of, like, you know, there's very specific stuff in America of, like, okay, Northeast, Southern, and we have all the 
fucking stereotypes that fit with that. What is that breakdown like in Canada? Well, everyone lives generally close to the border just because of, you know, climate and proximity to the U.S., et cetera. You know, of course, you have the Maritimes and then in Newfoundland. So if you've ever seen like Letterkenny or Trailer Park Boys. Most of the people I work with are from Halifax because Twerp is their old Nova Scotian. And I hear a lot, uh-huh. a lot about Halifax and Letterkenny. Oh, my God. I hear so much about Letterkenny. <laughs> Anytime we're on a fucking Dead by Daylight call, it's just nonstop. Well, that and, okay, I need to ask you a question, and please don't take this the wrong way. Are the Trailer Park Boys funny? Because I, I, <laughs> I can't get into it. And they have, like, a thousand episodes. And uh, and maybe it's because it's more regional than anything, but oh, I, I don't see it. I love Trailer Park Boys. Layton might relate to this because, Layton, are you from North Carolina? I am. So is my husband, and he can't watch King of the Hill because he feels like it hits too close to home in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I feel that way about, you know, Trailer Park Boys or Letter Kenny, where I'm like, I know people like this. So I have a hard time digesting some of those shows. So I don't watch a ton of them. But I Right, yeah. Yeah, Brian, I don't know. It's not my thing. (laughs) Okay, great. That makes me feel a lot better. I have to ask you another thing. Leighton, I'm sure you've heard about this. This is Commander Miach's favorite food substance. It's called Mm -hmm. Donair. Do you know about this? No. Okay. Because he said it was an East Coast thing. And apparently it is. So I was like, oh, do you mean donor? Like donor kebab? Mm Mm-hmm. It is not spelled D-O-N-E-R, as I would normally spell it. It's D-O-N-A-I-R, Donair. And the way he describes it is a kebab-type place moved into, I don't even know where the original one is. Let's say Halifax. I don't know if it's exactly Halifax. And the locals were not into it. So what they had to do was come up with the sauce that it's in. It's Donair sauce. Apparently there is a place in Toronto you can get this. It is like mayo mixed with vinegar and more sugar than you would hope. That sounds about right. It's so sweet. I've tried it because he got some shipped to him and (laughs) he was very excited to share it. (laughs) And Rachel and I and Audrey, we got a Domino's like cheese stick thing, which I guess is just a pizza, but they cut it into rectangular shapes rather than wedge. And he's like, check this shit out. You're going to love this. It's like cheese sticks (laughs) and donair sauce. Fuck yeah. (laughs) And we all tried it and made that like, "Mm, mm -hmm, mm, really good kind of face. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but I didn't expect it to be so sweet. Oh, so much sugar. I bet it's delicious. <laughs> when Meowth showed me the bottle that he ordered, it was like, oh God, that's a sweet substance? Yes. I'm sorry, Meowth, it does not look right. He was so happy about it too. I remember, yeah. It has vinegar in it? It tastes like it does. It was interesting to me because he did kind of pitch it as like explicitly an East Coast Canadian thing. And I guess that is true since you've never heard of it. I personally think that Canadians love sauces. We're sauce people. (laughs) Yeah, so tell me more. (laughs) If anything, I can dip, you know, or pour. (laughs) I'm Mm -hmm. interested. (laughs) Yeah, I want the taxonomy of Canadian sauces. Oh, if only I knew what the word taxonomy meant. (laughs) (laughs) Just break down of the types of them. Okay. I mean, I guess you have, you know, your oils to your, in terms of viscosity, right? Or do you break it down by taste? You know, where is it sweet or savory, umami? I, uh, 
I've never considered this. I don't know. Let's get saucy. Subway in Canada has something called sub sauce. What? <laughs> no. If you go and order a sub, you can say, put sub sauce on it. So I always look like a fucking idiot <laughs> when I first moved to America and I would go get, you know, a Subway sandwich. I'd say, hit me with that sub sauce. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> that reminds me of something that happened to me in North Carolina. Uh-huh. I was visiting Raleigh, Durham for academic stuff. And I asked people, I was like, where's the best barbecue around here? And they were like, drive an hour into the woods. I was like, all right. So I rented a car, drove an hour into the woods, found this little shack and go to order. So I'm looking at the menu and the menu just says barbecue. Mm-hmm. And so I asked the, the very nice lady who was taking orders. I said, uh, so I'd like this, but what do you get with your barbecue? And she said, it's just barbecue. And I was like, okay, but what comes with it? And she's like, well, you can get coleslaw or beans. It's like, well, with what? And she's like, with your barbecue. And I could not suss out what kind of meat (laughs) or sauce was on the barbecue. Now, Brian, did you happen to notice any men, perchance, running around with chainsaws or anything like that? (laughs) No, it was was very nice. It was a totally stand-up establishment. But when I say barbecue, Layden, what is barbecue to you? I don't know. I couldn't tell you specifically what that means, but I know exactly what you're talking about with you go to the random shack that has something written on the sign and you just eat whatever they give you. (laughs) And it is almost always with a large, they don't offer you water. It's a large, tall glass of sweet tea. Mm. That's correct. Which is 99% sugar. Fucking sucks. I hate that shit. In this case, by the way, barbecue was pulled pork in vinegar. Yeah, so that's like North Carolina barbecue, which being from North Carolina, I am a Texas barbecue person. I do not like North Carolina barbecue. Sorry, North Carolina. Okay, here's the thing. Do either of you know what cheer wine is? I have heard of it. I only know it because Matt Watson refuses to drink it. (laughs) (laughs) I have watched that man chug straight like a half a bottle of vodka. (laughs) I'm surprised he draws the line at cheer wine. The thing is, he might have been fucking with me because that's what he does. Of course. By the way, he woke me up again at 4 a.m. texting two nights ago, so thanks, Matt. But he said every time he's had Cheerwine recently, something terrible has happened to a friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's cursed. The Cheerwine curse, it's known well. If you drink it from the wrong side of the glass, that's what happens. That's what they teach you in school. (laughs) Well, okay, but what is it? Is it a soda? Do they prepare it in a specific way? Yeah, it's a brand of soda that was created in North Carolina. It's basically like... Imagine cherry Coke, but cherrier. Oh, yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> it's very red. You know, I haven't had it in like probably eight years, but I remember liking it a lot. I'm a big cherry Coke head. Oh, God, no. Okay, that makes sense. Uh-uh. I hate cherry flavoring. Same. Wait, okay. Are you with me on this? Cherries are great. Cherry flavoring is appalling. I just kind of avoid all of the cherry family. Don Cherry included. That's a joke with the Canadians. <laughs> You don't like a nice Shirley Temple? Oh, you know what? Layton's right. I do love a Shirley Temple, but it's the grenadine, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a sugar fiend because I'm Canadian. Is that another Canadian thing? Canadians like sweets? I mean, I think it kind of ties into what you were describing, the sauce and how sweet it is. You know, our syrups, we have these things. If you kind of go into more northern areas, sugar shacks, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you can get a full breakfast and some pancakes at the sugar shack because they tap the trees nearby. <laughs> Sorry, that is like the name of a thing that is a known thing as a sugar shack? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think you'd probably find a lot in like northern Quebec. Hold on. We, we skated over an important topic. What the fuck is in sub sauce? Oh. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. 
Good idea. Can't even describe it. It's very oily. Is it like oil and vinegar? Kind of. And so when I get subs now, I just ask for oil and vinegar. (laughs) But yeah, you could buy it in Canadian grocery stores, you know, buy sub sauce in a squeezable tube. Hmm. Sorry, Audrey may be joining us momentarily. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I, I haven't seen Audrey in like a few years. How old is she now? She is six and a half. She'll be seven pretty soon. And she, yeah, she's great. Just in first grade and, sorry, grade one. (laughs) Thank you for adapting that. Yeah, no, I like to translate. Yeah, and she's just like a machine of pure attitude. (laughs) I guess we don't have a childcare thing because Rachel left with her already. Okay, great. Oh. But maybe she'll come in in a minute. I don't know. Yeah, she's doing great. You know, remote school has been a challenge, but... We're getting through it. And actually, next week, she starts back in person, like totally in person. Wow. Wait, so I have a question. Do you have to deal with the other kids' parents who are annoying with Zoom? In first grade, no. They really want the kids just kind of on by themselves. So we are explicitly not encouraged to be around in the Zoom any more than we would be in a normal classroom. That's great. But now, do we have to deal with other kids' annoying parents? The answer is definitely yes. But... Generally, people are pretty great. Like, there's only a fuck, uh, a fuckle. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> oh my god, we need to figure out what unit of measurement a fuckle is. How many fucks that is? It's like a gaggle of fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's great. There's a couple of fuckers, is what I was going to say, who are, are a little annoying. But generally speaking, everyone's great. Have you ever encountered? And please feel free not to answer this either. But any parents that are fans? No, but we had a teacher. Oh wow. Yeah. Actually, the woman who would have been Audrey's first grade teacher this year was a fan. And then things got all weird when they went remote. And so she is not Audrey's first grade teacher now, but I was curious how we would have handled. I'm sure she would have been fine. She was really cool. She was like not weird or anything, but I was a little bit like, what do you do? But then again, like it's LA and they have parents who are in the industry and, you know, in TV and film and stuff like that kind of just happens all the time. So I'm sure they're used to it and it wouldn't have been a big deal. If that was me, I would have immediately cast a judgment on that person that if they're watching what I make, I won't, I don't want them teaching my child because clearly they don't have any taste (laughs) or intelligence. (laughs) I didn't think about that, but you're a hundred percent right. Yes. (laughs) That's just me. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing dealing with a teacher who's a fan. I doubt it's going to happen again. It it was kind of just a random thing because I think most of the teachers are a little older than our typical fans. Anyway, this person was a probably on the younger side of being a teacher. But who knows if it'll happen again. Wait, so on the flip side of that, when you were teaching, did you have students who were fans? Oh, yeah. That was weird because just when I got my faculty job in London, that's when NSP was really starting to take off. But it's hard to separate the people who were at Queen Mary and then looked me up from the people who were already fans. But they were like college-age kids. So I definitely had a couple, but... They were also British, so everyone was very quiet about it. So I think they mm-hmm. they didn't bring it up. Well, another, I don't know if this was true. I'm curious if this is true in Canada, at least. So in England, whenever we had a school, a college, like, function or, you know, whatever, there were drinks served everywhere. And so about an hour into any given function, people would start being drunk. And then everything would come out. So... That's when I would start to get questions about, you can can dress up in your ninja costume kind of stuff. But it wasn't typical. 
Yeah, I guess that's maybe the case. Not to the extent, I'm sure, of the UK, though. But the drinking age in Ontario, at least, was at 19. It's weird because I think that the Canadian college experience is a bit different because you sort of get that out of your system when you're 19. And sure, you know, you're drinking and partying. I lived at home while I went to school and just commuted. We don't have as much as the live on campus and frats. Did you go to University of Toronto or McMaster or some? I went to Toronto. I'm surprised that you know all these Canadian universities. I was an academic for long enough, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely feel like McMaster, for example, does not get a lot of play in the U.S. No. I don't think it's a big-name school. But Toronto has a huge physics program, and so I knew people who worked there. Is that what you taught, physics? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Went to McGill a couple times because I had friends who were in the department there in physics. The college system is, uh, I'm assuming, not is you're going to be in debt forever as it is here? I guess not. I am a, maybe an anomaly in that I started working part-time when I was in high school, and I worked all throughout going to college, and I lived at home, and so I paid my tuition, which was, you know, around $5,000 a year. And I just worked and saved up and lived a pretty meager lifestyle and just paid it off. So I, I came out of school without any student debt, which was really great. That rules. Wait, you said tuition was 5000 a year? Yeah, it was about like five to 6000 And that's Canadian dollars, Layton. Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> so it could be anything. These are all moose knuckles. I mean, moose nickels. <laughs> <laughs> You made me think of something, just us naming schools, listing them off. Something that I've noticed, and I don't know if this is something that comes with age, and maybe the two of you have a perspective, but is the driving in your car or walking somewhere and just reading the names of places and saying them aloud. I observe old people doing this. Like, I'll be driving with my dad, and he's just like, battery mart. Yeah. Like he just has to read it and say it out loud. And I... I'm desperately trying to resist that, but I do feel like I'm on the cusp of, I just see something and you want to say it. Speaking as a 45-year-old, I can tell you it is irresistible. It is actually irresistible. <laughs> Part of this might be, now I do it because I am often in a car with someone who is saying, what does that say? What does that say? What does that say? What does that say? So you kind of get conditioned to be like, that, that says Los Angeles, that says a world of fish, that says hot dog. You know, you just like <laughs> start reading shit all the time. So I found that I will start to read things out loud to head off the inevitable barrage of questions I'm going to get about various things. Although I am flipping it back around on Audrey now and trying to ask her, what does that say? But of course, we're traveling quickly and, you know, sometimes she doesn't see the sign in time. But yes, I do the same thing, 100%. Okay, I'm curious, speaking of children in cars, because I've definitely seen people talk about this online, but the idea of being a child and looking out the window, did either of you do the thing where you're like imagining a person like running alongside your car and like jumping on shit? What? <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> At least, no, nothing. I don't think so. I mean, I, I was very much, I mean, if you've both seen Bobby's World, but that Bobby mm -hmm. took things very literally in his imagination. I was very much that as a kid, but that sounds different to me. <laughs> I guess the description <laughs> sounds like extremely terrifying, like a severe manifestation of like something is coming, it's getting closer to the car. But it was more like, I'm imagining, definitely wasn't my Neopet, but for the sake of argument, like, oh, there's a little Neopet running along the car and he's having fun and jumping on 
telephone poles and shit. Please tell me somebody listening to this, <laughs> this is a kid and that I've not completely lost my mind. The way you said it, I absolutely pictured that a stranger was chasing you down and trying to break into your car. <laughs> well, that's what my mom would have me believe. <laughs> I have a very visceral memory of being, I don't know, kindergarten, first grade, and imagining that the super friends were on the school bus with me to prevent me getting bullied by the older children. Oh, yeah. wow. That's so sad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you should have been there. It was not fun. <laughs> I just picture the scenario where you are face-to-face confronted by the bullies, and then you're like, come on, super friends. Now's the time. Spring forth. Back me up. Spring forth. And then nothing. You know what? Lately, I've been just so grateful that, you know, things suck right now. At least I'm not in high school. At least I'm not in middle school. And I don't have to be on a school bus, which is hell on earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine how bad they are. I say now, but you know, pre-COVID, like I can't. Nightmare. So we lived kind of far from a school. I was on the bus for an hour every day, each way. And those were some very, very dark times. <laughs> Look, to be fair, I don't want to say I brought bullying on myself, but I definitely was annoying in a way that I did not need to be. I mean, for example, at least for the first couple of years, every time I got in the bus, I would start counting out loud quietly to myself, starting at one and seeing how far I could get. <laughs> That's very sweet, though. It is. In terms of bus behaviors, I think that is maybe the most innocent you could get. Well, that's true, but it also puts a pretty big fucking target on your back for (laughs) older kids who say, you know, this weird chubby kindergartner who insists on counting out loud all the time. The only time I got beaten up, I was definitely poking the bear because I, for a Spanish project, I had to bring in a bunch of like cooking supplies, like fake cooking supplies. I have a very, very clear memory. This is probably sixth grade or something of taking a wooden spoon and a kid in my grade, but who was kind of a bully was sitting behind me. And I just took the spoon and I kept poking him with it over and over (laughs) and over and over. And then he started punching me and I cowered in my seat and we both got in trouble. God. That sucks. Yeah, you really did bring it on yourself. (laughs) I have no one to blame, but I mean, should he he have used his fists? Absolutely not. Should I have poked him with a wooden spoon? Probably not. He should have used another spoon like a gentleman. Yeah, that's right. I was challenging him to a game of spoonsies. (laughs) The counting is borderline, you know, he's you're the creepy kid in a horror movie too. And what is he counting? Why does he count to the specific number every day? Yeah, well, it would have been creepier if I was counting down. Oh, that would have been great. (laughs) I feel like this is a good time to move on to segments. What do you think, Leighton? Yeah, this is a podcast that definitely has at least two segments. Yeah, at least. All right, so our first segment, Elise. This is Leighton's favorite segment. It is our pop culture recommendation segment. Have you listened to previous episodes of this podcast? I have. (laughs) Have you listened to full episodes? No, (laughs) I'm sorry. Did you get to this segment? I haven't gotten to the recommendation segment before. Okay, great. That's what I wanted to hear. Brian, you really presented a glimmer of hope for me right there. But <laughs> That's good, because where I'm going with this is, it's not the segment itself so much as, I wanted to know if you had heard the theme song. Oh, I haven't, no, but I love a good theme song. Oh, oh, Elise. Okay, get ready, because <laughs> if you love a good theme song, you are going to adore the theme song to this segment. Now, It's something I wrote by myself. Layden didn't help with this one. So she does a lot for the show. She didn't do this particular thing, though. 
I love this theme song. It is the highlight of the show. This is something I, I wrote by myself. We get to play it every week. Just hearing it, it brightens my day. And I think it's going to brighten yours as well. So this segment is called What's Poppin'? And here is the theme song. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? So, radical honesty time. What did you think? Was I actually not supposed to hear anything? Well, 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 Brian. Once again, this bit has failed remarkably, as it does nearly every week. I couldn't tell if you wanted me to say, wonderful, Brian. There's no should. What do I want? That's a good question. In the words of whatever the name of that Bill Hader game show host character is, I can't remember. Chaos is what I want. No, there's no should. I was attempting to do a bit that I set up poorly and it failed. He does this every week. And like two weeks ago, he was like, you know what? I think I'm going to stop doing the bit. And I was like, okay, cool. And here we are once again, (laughs) Brian. Nice work. I was almost, I was about to not do it. And honestly, if you would listen to a full episode, I wouldn't have done it. But then it just felt like it was, I just, I don't know. I think it's worth doing the bit for Leighton's loathing of the bit. Well, you know what? That's the only reason I want to continue doing it. I think that's the only reason anybody likes it, Brian. <laughs> I have to do performative rage for the purposes of the hallmark bit of Leighton Night, which is solely predicated on you being a dick to our guests. <laughs> I will say to Leighton's point, I think that women a lot of the time get shoehorned into that performative rage or disappointment role in comp, you know, mm-hmm. the like, the boys will play and then the women have to be like, oh, geez, here we go again. Yep, <laughs> Totally. You have to be the angry girlfriend or whatever. Yep, I completely get it. Yeah. So, sorry, is that a pro or a con? I'm not 100% sure. Because <laughs> I do I do like latent <laughs> shtick of like, oh, geez, here we go again. It's fine. I think we're both mutually antagonistic enough in general. Well, to me, the real thing is I ride this line of genuinely wanting to bother people, but not actually wanting to annoy anyone. And it lives right on the edge of that. So I would never want to make anyone uncomfortable or upset. Except kind of yes. Except me. I see how it is, Brian. (laughs) But I'm talking about our guests here. It is a very aggressive thing to do to people. So I go back and maybe I'm going to stop. I think this is the last week I'm going to do it. I don't know. I think there's a great evolution to the bit, which is, okay, well, now Leighton gets a chance for her slick theme song. Oh. Mm. Which, you know, might to the dismay of you, Brian. I like that. This is interesting. Brian has listened to... None of my notes for what this bit could be, so... No, I refuse. We'll fucking see about it. Thank you. Actually, this is a good opportunity because next week is episode 52. So we are at the one-year cusp, and a year is a good time to change things over. This is true. Hey, everybody, welcome to Leighton Night with Leighton. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, you know, we had some change in personnel, trimming some fat, you know. We could change the show title to Brian Knight with Leighton Gray and then flip it every year. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly a concept. I don't know. At least what's popping? Yeah, well, I was going to say, maybe not the best use of our time to workshop show ideas while we have fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I love it. I love it. I was going to say, I think the third evolution of the theme song bit is when you when you go, okay, it's time for our What's Poppin' segment guest 
let's hear your theme song. And the guest says, what? And then you say, (laughs) you know, we sent the email for you to bring the theme song. That's great. Wow. In a year, Brian has not iterated on this bit other than failing miserably every other week. (laughs) And you come on and you just, you're pitching. It's good shit. But I'll never be asked back. (laughs) Well, you can come on Leighton Night with Leighton Gray. Oh, thank God. I was texting with a past guest in front of the show, Jonathan Young, who's a very talented musician and YouTuber. And we were talking about some thing that I did that went too far. And I said I was worried it was too much. And he said, I think very, very wisely, you can't kill a joke that's already dead. And this has really stuck with me. (laughs) Well, with jokes, there's always supposed to be that point where it comes back around and it's funny again. Yeah. It's the sideshow Bob stepping on rakes theory. Yep. Anyway, Elise, what's popping? What's pop a lop and get ready because if <laughs> if I wasn't already aging out for the kids, uh, <laughs> here we go. No, that's perfect. All right, let's do it. There's a book that I finished last night called On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century by Timothy Snyder. Mm. And it's been on my list for four or five years now since it was first released, but I just never picked it up. And man, not to get into politics too much, but it's basically very much looks at the current state, especially in America, and kind of looks back to lessons of the past and says, you know, it's very easy to fall into fascism or totalitarianism. And here are the lessons that we need to address and the signs we need to recognize in the current political realm to prevent these things from ever happening again. I do enjoy history a lot. And I think it's a really digestible kind of history because it's a short book and also each of these short chapters is kind of like a different perspective or lesson. Mm. It's not like you're picking up a book about Lyndon B. Johnson and you're like, well, this is you know, 400 pages of LBJ. Yeah, It's a very like accessible read, like a more fun kind of history to read for lack of a better term. Um, <laughs> but that and Big Mouth, I guess, are my, <laughs> my recommendations. For who knows why, after the 2016 election, I feel like I saw it in a lot of bookstores suddenly. For sure, yeah. Is that the book? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of the issues with the last four years in that regime are addressed very succinctly in this book. Some, because this book was written, I think, 2017 is when it was released. There's even, like, predictive stuff in here that was probably in its infancy at the time that the author calls out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, not to get too political, but I like history and I like this kind of thing. And I think it's also really important to look at your past to, you know, avoid those mistakes in the future. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very similar, or it sounds similar to this book, but it's called The Rise of Disaster Capitalism that I picked up maybe beginning of last March and then could not finish. I'm not sure when it was published, but like a while back, but it's basically about like, here's how governments take advantage of national disasters to disenfranchise literally everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And uh, had to set that one down for some reason. That is definitely a lesson in this book of not relinquishing your autonomy when there's a natural disaster and the government is trying to say, you know, well, don't worry, like just relinquishing your freedom and we'll take care of things because that's a slippery slope. I have written down so many recommendations from Leighton during this podcast (laughs) of like things to (laughs) check out. I have at least three. Yeah, I have a menagerie of content. Actually, the politics thing is interesting to me, Elise, especially because I, uh, you know, I follow you on Twitter and I see your tweets and you were definitely not shy about talking politics on there, which I think is awesome. Do you get blowback on that from people? I do. You know, I don't really consider myself any kind of like amazing pundit of any kind, but I do think life's too short to kind of not just say what you stand for. 
I agree. And especially in a time where lots of people are, are suffering or feeling disenfranchised or left out or scared. And it's very easy to just say, I'm here for you and this is how I feel. I don't think you should feel that way. It's just a really easy thing, I think, to just say and put out there positively. Yeah, I totally agree. I've never felt the, oh, I'm worried if I talk politics, I'll lose fans kind of pressure. I don't know about you. Mostly what I tweet about with politics is like kind of science-based issues, climate change and stuff like that, which is depressing that it's a political thing, but that's a different thing. And then occasionally you'll get the stick to whatever kind of bullshit that people say. But I totally agree. Like, I think it's somewhat of a responsibility for public figures to talk about these things. And there's a range of how much people can talk about them or not, according to personal comfort and blah, blah, blah. But I like it when people say what they believe in, and then it's out there and you can have a discussion. I think it's great. For sure. I'm not really interested in getting into the minutia or debating online with people. But I do think when it comes to just the simple humanitarian aspect of this is wrong because it's hurting people on a human level. Like, mm -hmm. I feel yeah. completely comfortable coming out and saying that. I'm just a bleeding heart, guys. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's good, though. Typical Canadian bleeding heart. That's way better than the alternative. Things are very extreme right now, and to, like, be indifferent is a real bad privilege. Yeah. Bad privilege is a thing that I'm coining now. As we all know from Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. Ooh. <laughs> if anything that movie taught us, <laughs> it was that. And also that Oscar Isaac looks great in eyeliner. Oh, yeah. I always forget that he's in that. I've never seen it. I don't have any particular plans to. It's dog shit, but it's very, very <laughs> fun dog shit. I'm kind of a huge Snyder head. I love everything he does. Can't wait for the Snyder Cut on HBO Max, you know big fan of, I don't know, whatever other movie. I can't pursue this bit any further. I give up. <laughs> Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me, funnily enough, coming off of the discussion about watching YouTube channels, like I used to not watch a lot of YouTube. I definitely watched it in high school and then ads got worse. And then I kind of forgot that YouTube premium was a thing until last year. And ever since I started paying for YouTube premium, I was like, oh shit, YouTube's cool. But I've been revisiting a favorite channel of mine. Do either of you watch Internet Comment Etiquette? No. no, I don't know it. Oh, fuck yeah. I love this guy. Uh, if you ever saw the old, like, gardening on salvia videos. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's that guy. Basically, like, each thing is framed as, like, a quote-unquote lesson, but it's just him, like, going off in the comments of random videos, which, like, as a pitch sounds awful, and I think if it was any other person doing this show, it would completely suck ass, but he's just, like super funny on it with editing like that shit cracks me up so hard but yeah people if you're looking to jump into it like let's see uh late night youtube is a great one is he calling people out on their poor etiquette no basically it's just like writing long insane rambling comments in character oh yeah it's fun there's a really good one about the u.s postal service where he's like pretending to not know that everybody's talking about the u.s postal service and then uses like the 15 minutes to just constantly rag on the band the postal service in every single comment <laughs> <laughs> so good have you seen the postal service auditions video from like 10 years ago no it was made for the 10th anniversary of the postal service whatever that happened maybe 2013 uh, and it is, uh, fuck, who's the guy who's not Ben Gibbard in the Postal Service? Who knows? I don't know anything about the Postal Service. His fucking name is Jimmy Tamborello. It's a solid band with two people. Mm, disagree. What the fuck? <laughs> Do I detect a note of opprobrium there, Layden? We've, like, literally talked about hating the Postal Service, and I felt bad for saying it because Jarek and you like the Postal Service. Look, I say this with respect. 
I don't care what you like. Like you are welcome to dislike anything I like. And that does not Mm -hmm. take away from my enjoyment of the thing. Yeah. And likewise, I realized the way I said that sounded nastier than I meant it to, (laughs) but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, I love it when you disagree with my personal opinion of things. Right. The music I make is all sad beeps. I declare the postal (laughs) service sad beeps, bad beeps. Fair enough. Also incorrect. <laughs> Postal Service has some great songs. Watch the audition. Like It's a 10th anniversary. They have all these uh, musicians from other bands that show up and audition to be the role that is eventually taken by Ben Gibbard. It's an amusing video that includes Weird Al and a bunch of other people that you may or may not know. Lovely. But yeah, folks, if you're fellow Postal Service haters, please watch Internet Comment Etiquette on the USPS because it really lays out some great arguments for why it sucks in the comments of people being like, fuck the United States Postal Service. That's very funny. I can't recommend that channel enough. It just like so consistently gets laughs out of me. And it's just a really great case for extreme specificity and comedy. Like the joke writing is so tight. Anyway, Brian, yes, what's poppin'? Well, if we're talking about Elise... I mean, you prefaced yours by saying that this might be like old person stuff. Mine's old person stuff. It is the 1991 Vim Vendors film, Until the End of the World. Have either of you seen this? No. Weighing in at four hours and 45 minutes, it's currently on the Criterion channel, and it is a vaguely sci-fi road movie that takes place 10 years in the future from 1999. And there is a catastrophe that may or may not be about to happen, and this woman is trying to basically goes on a long, long road trip. And I mean, the movie is literally five fucking hours long. It's entertaining. It doesn't feel like five hours. It has an amazing soundtrack where vendors got a bunch of artists, you know, including Talking Heads is there. U2 has a song on it. And he said, write music like you think you'll be writing in 10 years for this movie. And it's all great. Interesting. It has sci-fi trappings. Like it's clearly not 91 tech. But all of the tech has this very unusual graphical interface, which has like cartoon characters moving around. Club Penguin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The future is Club Penguin. What's the name of this thing again? Until the End of the World. It's sort of like a searching thing called The Bear. It's like basically pre-internet because it's made in 91. And when you go to The Bear to look for things, this cartoon bear comes out and goes, I'm the bear, I'm the bear, I'm the bear, I'm the bear and walks around on the screen looking for the thing that you're looking for. So it's super weird and very fun. There's a lot of like video conferencing. It looks like, and this would have been about the right era, kind of like Total Recall in terms of its vision of the future, like the real Total Recall, not the remake. Mm -hmm. It's just a bizarre piece of cinema by a really great director that I know very few people have seen this movie. I remember watching part of it like in college and I like vendors. So I was like, fuck it. I'll sit down and watch it. And it's totally worth it. And it's just bizarre. It's a weird, weird thing. I'm looking at the IMDb trivia and saw it took 14 years and $23 million for Vim Benders to bring his vision to the screen, shooting in 15 different cities in seven different countries on four different continents. Yeah, it goes all over. Like a lot of it is just flying trains, cars, and it's clearly filmed like in a lot of it is European for obvious reasons. And it takes place all over Europe, at least in part. It's wild. It's crazy that this exists. And they released, I guess, a three-ish hour theatrical cut. And he was mad about it (laughs) and claims that the only real version is the five-hour version. Ah, I read that the original cut was eight hours. A true man of cinema. (laughs) Yes. 
And also there's a lot of like disaffected Europeans smoking and staring at things, which is, <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I think it's the best. Beautiful. That is all the things that were popping. And now we segue into our final segment, which is peaches and lemons, which is both an excuse to bitch about a petty thing and then also be grateful for three nice things or things you're excited about or good things that have happened. I am delivering this with my usual extreme enthusiasm. Um, so we will each go around and share a lemon first, and then we'll do some peaches. Peaches and lemons. Peaches and lemons. I have a lemon. Please. My lemon is I'm very upset with myself for saying I don't care what you like before to Layton. <laughs> <laughs> Because it came across very, very aggressive in a way that I didn't intend. And now I feel slightly bad about it, even though I'm 100% sure, Layden, that you know what I meant. But still. Brian, it's really interesting how much you get tripped up over feeling like you've been mean to me. And it's very charming. And I appreciate it so much. <laughs> I just have to say that you could probably punch me in the face and I would say sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, I 100% realize that. And certainly... We have known each other long enough and are good enough friends that, first of all, if you were upset with me, you would tell me. Yeah. Second of all, I also know, given that all I do is, as I said before, poke the bear, I know I have nothing to really apologize for, but that doesn't mean I can't feel slightly bad about phrasing something in a way that I felt was a little over the line that I was setting for myself. So Don't lose sleep, Brian. Oh. Don't lose sleep. You're getting bumped up a few pieces on my shit list, but that's not important. That's great. Well, the joke's on you because- I can never fall asleep anyway. <sighs> Did it. Okay, so that's a lemon. Elise? This is, a, I guess, maybe more of a personal problem, too, because sometimes I'll be walking. I walk my dog a lot. And if I'm wearing a lower-cut sock specifically, my sock <laughs> will tend to slide down halfway in my shoe. Mm -hmm. And I have small feet, and this is a constant issue for me. And socks lose their elasticity over time, so I'm buying socks constantly. <laughs> to get a fresh sock with, with new elasticity. A rare time, I was so far from home having walked that I had to call my husband and be like, you need to come get me. My socks just are not staying <laughs> up. <laughs> Can't walk like this. My other complaint was that the Minion's Rise of Gru is a origin story of Gru, but I thought we already saw the origin story of Gru. Yeah, didn't we? In one of the movies, right? I thought we did. That is like the platonic ideal of a lemon. That's perfect. <laughs> I was going to say that too. This is maybe the best lemon we've ever had, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Really? 100%. Definitionally, like the way that we pitched it was like, what is the pettiest fucking gripe <laughs> you can have? And like every week it usually falls somewhere on a spectrum, but that was just like, Mwah, beautiful. And it's the fucking like, it's a non-issue problem. Perfect. I shouldn't be complaining about this because then I do have the money to keep buying new socks. Right. I had the same problem. I just switched to doing like ankle height socks and then come summer, I look like a dipshit. But, you know, it's worth it for not having to do that. But mere weeks ago, I too purchased a six pack of the ankle socks. A. Because I was kind of fed up with it. They're cuter. You can get fun patterns on them. Wait, as opposed to what? The low cut socks, right? Yeah. Also, this is yet another way that the patriarchy is putting us down. Women's socks and the elastic on women's socks are bullshit. Mm -hmm. The elastic on men's socks is pretty bad, too. Look, I'm not saying you don't have a legitimate complaint. I'm just saying I have sock elastic problem. My feet are more oppressed than your feet are. <laughs> this is exactly why you have a 4.2 wiki feet rating or whatever the fuck. Uh, it's 4.67. Get it right. <laughs> don't get it twisted. 
Yeah. We also pay the women's tax on the socks. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. The pink tax on women's socks. I remember going to Walgreens once and seeing men's and women's earplugs. And <laughs> the women's earplugs were five bucks more expensive for like a pack of 12. Because of our freak ears. <laughs> the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Women need women's earplugs so they can be pink and we don't have to hear men talk about sport ball. (laughs) (laughs) But then we have to pull them out when they ask us to make a sandwich because we didn't hear that. (laughs) One thing I learned semi-recently, which really blew my mind, although is not actually that surprising in retrospect, is that a lot of sleep aids are just Benadryl. Yes. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. When you go to the doctor before they prescribe you a sleeping medication, they're like, just take Benadryl, not have it forming. Go for it. Dude, Zequil is so good. <laughs> oh man, I have to plan my Zequil days. Like, do I really want to have a good day tomorrow? <laughs> they say it's not habit forming, except I have to take it to sleep. <laughs> I don't want to take it every night. So I'm like, I really want to enjoy my Saturday. So I'm not going to take it Thursday night, but I'm going to take it Friday night. I do need to go to a sleep doctor. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is normal. I'm just going to take a little sippy sip of this NyQuil and knock out. This is not me encouraging recreational usage of NyQuil. Don't do that. But, you know, sometimes <laughs> when your nose is stuffy and you can't sleep and you take that NyQuil, when that NyQuil hits, bro, yo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Layton, what's your lemon? My lemon is last night, I was sitting at my desk, I was making some sick jams, vibing, smoking a joint. And then all of a sudden, um, <laughs> there's a literal explosion right outside my window. What? Like a boom. I was wearing headphones and it was like deafening. My entire place shook and it was like bright flash of light. Oh God. And obviously I grabbed my dog, run into the bathroom. And in that moment, I'm like, okay, well, this is it. I accept death. (laughs) Like like truly had that like split second moment of reckoning. And then my fucking neighbors rushed down and we were in the group chat and they were like, some kids were setting off a firework with a mortar and it fell over and it hit our building. Oh my God. What? It was fucking horrifying. I was so freaked out for the rest of the night. Maybe was losing it. But yeah, getting a firework launched at your home, I don't recommend it. That is a lemon. Wow. Why did you run to the bathroom? It's a little bit like further away from the street. And I was like, well, maybe if I get in the bathtub, the explosion kick <laughs> Did you actually get in the bathtub? I might have. <laughs> I mean, that's actually smart, I think. I thought shit was going down. (laughs) I truly (laughs) thought shit was going down. Like, the place where I live, there's very regularly, like, some real shit. Somebody got shot right in front of my place, like, this year. Oh, my God. Really? Fuck. Yeah. There's been multiple deaths on my street in the past. It's not great. Anyway, yeah, so maybe if you're setting off fireworks in the middle of the fucking street, don't knock over the goddamn mortar. (laughs) Wow. I would like to retract the sock problem. (laughs) (laughs) See, mine's of a larger magnitude than a lemon, though. Like, this is a slightly larger lemon. I had another lemon, and it was that, like, last week I was waiting on a UPS package all day, fucking just washing the phone like a hawk. Finally, they pull up. I run downstairs to greet them. And the moment I run downstairs, they drive away, and it was like, delivery attempted. (sighs) Like, you didn't even get out of the fuck. Whatever. Okay, so peaches time. I have peaches. Yeah, do it. Okay, my first peach is that I got a bass, and I'm learning to play bass. Oh, yeah, I saw your picture. Yeah, it's a gorgeous little boy, and Commander Meowch helped me 
pick one out and talked me out of getting a shitty one and is pointing me in the right direction. And it's super fun. And my fucking fingers hurt. I also saw that picture. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to not pop the blisters on my fingers, but God, to the, the siren song of a fat blister, you know? <laughs> Maybe just pop one a little bit. Oh, buddy, I'm there. <laughs> so yes, that is one peach. It's exciting. My second peach is one of my best friends and favorite people in the world. You know, I met her in college and I have not lived in the same city for a long time. And I found out that she's not only moving to LA, but moving down the street from me. What? So I could not be more thrilled about that. Um, Allison, hello. You're probably listening. I love you very much. (laughs) Oh. She's an insanely talented tattoo artist and she's coming here to do tattoos. And I'm just really proud of her and I'm excited to hug her and cry. That's awesome. Yeah. And then my third peach is getting donuts back in the rotation. There's a good donut shop that Mm. I avoided for a long time because it looked sus, but it's near me and it's fucking beautiful donuts. Just great donuts. Something about a donut, you know, Mm -hmm. it really gives me the serotonin. Does it have specialty donuts? No. Like weird flavors and stuff? Which I appreciate. It's just like regular fucking donuts. Like I get my maple long boy, my sugar long boy, and I get a plain glazed. I appreciate that because I've seen some of these donut shops where they have a lot of these novelty over-the-top donut designs. No. Cereal? Yes. No cereal on donut. Yeah, fuck you, cereal on a donut. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely not. Makes me mad. I feel like those don't move and they've been sitting on the shelf for more days than you think. They're always stale and it cuts up the roof of your fucking, why would I want this? Mm -hmm. That to me seems like something that is made for drunk people to eat and (laughs) under no other circumstance is it acceptable to eat those. Like, I'm very sorry. I'm not on board with the voodoo donuts bullshit. Like, I know people love them. That's great. Like, if you like them, you like them. That's fine. And it's always like fucking Fruit Loops, like already a lower tier cereal. Yeah. If there's some bells and whistles, that's fine. But I'd rather have a good donut than like a cool looking donut, which is, I feel like, what they're going for half the time. I've gained an appreciation for super plain donuts, like the most basic possible. I don't know how to describe it. It's because it's fried and full of sugar, but it just mm, hits just right. You get your coffee. Ooh. Yeah. Anyway, that's peaches. Either of you, please take some fat bites of some juicy peach. I don't know where I'm going. One of you say things. I have some peaches. Yeah, do it. Peach one. The Muppets are coming to Disney+. Plus. Yes. The Muppets show specifically. It's about all five seasons of it, which to this point in time, only seasons one through three had gotten a DVD release years ago. I have a Muppet question for you, Elise. When they released them on DVD, they made them slightly different than the original version. So do we know which version we're getting? Do you know what I'm talking about? They were like slightly different than the originals? No, what did they do? I can't exactly remember, but they like cut some bits. It might have been like a music licensing thing. I really don't remember. Oh, yes. I think I know what you're talking about. And it was it was music licensing, wasn't it? It usually is with that stuff. Yeah. I think I saw that question raised recently, but I don't know if I saw what the answer was. Yeah. Well, I was just curious if you knew off the top of your head. Yeah. I'm kind of at the point where I would take any iteration of the show. Mm hmm. I specifically like booked the day off of work and I, I've never taken a day off of work in my life for, you know, a video game or a movie or anything specifically, but this was just so monumental and I love the Muppets. I couldn't be happier, but we have so rare things to look forward to. I feel like in the last year that it was just such a nice thing to look forward to. Do you have a favorite original Muppet show episode? Uh, no, I haven't seen the Muppet show since I was a kid. There's one segment that I really, really love. I'll watch every few months, and it's, I think, Madeline 
Khan is on The Muppet Show. She's the host that week. Yes. She was amazing. She's the all-time best everything. I love her so much, yeah. She was incredible. And Gonzo, I think, takes a shine to her, maybe a little bit more mm-hmm. romantic than he should. And so Madeline Kahn kind of lets him down gently. And then Gonzo sings a song about how he wishes he was anybody else but him. <laughs> this heartbreaking, because like the Muppets at points can have some just such heartbreaking and poignant and real moments, which sounds silly. No, you're right. And he's also my favorite Muppet. He sings this just heartbreaking song about you know, how he wishes he was anyone else but him. Toward the end of the song, he, of course, comes to the realization that he is happy being him. Oh, God, gives me goosebumps when I watch it. (laughs) To me, the most impressive thing about Gonzo is someone was like, all right, here's this thing that fucks chickens. And everyone was like, (laughs) yes, that, that's what we want. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it does get racy with the chicken stuff. Yes, (laughs) Gonzo and Camilla, like, get after it. (laughs) When they're having a conversation, you don't know what Camilla's saying back because it's just all clucks. Yeah. I mean, it was the 70s, I guess. Like, it it definitely crosses a line. Everybody was fucking chickens in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think people would be crossing today. I, I just love to when, like, joyful things come to the world. And I think this is something very, very joyful being reintroduced into the world. We have the Muppet Show DVDs, and we show them to Audrey all the time. We've watched all the Muppet reboots, all of them, Muppets Tonight through Muppets Now, all of them. And nothing makes our six-year-old crack up like the original Muppet show from the 70s, even though it's 50 years out of date. It is so much funnier than anything else they've done. And it still works. I love that. I love that she loves it. It's so funny to hear like a six-year-old, you know, in 2021, be like, ah, Peter Houston, you're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, Elise, please continue. I guess my next peach would be, I, I have a friend that uh, is is moving and they have a bunch of matured cacti and succulents in their garden, you know, these big suckers and mm. asked me if I wanted any of them. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, some of these plants that you would buy, they're like upwards of $100 for this yeah. size of cactus. So I'm cactus rich. <laughs> Beautiful. Cactus rich, but fern poor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's also, you know, because of COVID, it's the kind of thing where like, I'm sure they're going to be watching me from their window while I dig up their garden, which will be weird. Yep. But and then my third peach was I recently discovered that young owls, they can't sleep standing like mature owls do. So they lie on their stomachs. Really? It's like the funniest looking thing. A lot of them look really mad. <laughs> <laughs> they look <laughs> this is real cute. Al's lying flat. All right, I'll be showing that to my daughter. There's one specifically that I'll put in the chat. That's the exact one I was looking at. Like, that's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is so cute. All right, yeah, Audrey's going to lose her shit. <laughs> All right, I believe it's my turn. Is that correct? Yes. Peach number one is, as I mentioned earlier, we went to the zoo, the Santa Barbara Zoo, yesterday. Uh, which was, you know, outdoors, distanced, masked, all that stuff. And I don't know if it's because people haven't been around, but these animals were going fucking wild the <laughs> entire time. We got to watch a monkey just go, ah, 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 for like 10 minutes. And I don't know why. Like, I can't remember the species of monkey it was. It was just sitting on top of a pole, losing its mind. <laughs> Every time we've ever been to the LA Zoo, the lions are asleep. They are not moving. They're just laying there. 
This lion was on top of a rock roaring. Whoa. Like, oh my God. Big male lion, huge mane, just <laughs> roaring. I mentioned the penguin before. The penguin was like making crazy noises. Vultures were flying around. These animals were going insane. It was the best. Usually, when you go to a zoo, 99% of being at the zoo is trying to find the animal in the enclosure. Mm-hmm. And you're like, is that the snow leopard? No, that was a tree. Like, you have to like look around for where the animal is. You go to the zoo to see the idea of an animal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly right. Except for giraffes. Giraffes are the only one that you can reliably spot just because they're so big. And they often don't have like, I don't know, enclosures for them. They're usually just out. I don't mean just wandering around the zoo. I mean, like, they're not under like in a separate house or something. Mm-hmm. This was so great. The animals were all going nuts. It also made me think about the time we went to the LA Zoo and I watched a chimpanzee do something with its own feces that has haunted me for years. <laughs> Oh, it was so upsetting. I don't even know if I should describe it. (laughs) Well, say it and bleep it because I want to know. Okay. So this chimpanzee took a dump (laughs) and it was part of the chimpanzee. They call it the penthouse or something. Anyway, it was right up against the glass. It took a dump, picked the shit up and just just like straight up and then rubbed its all over the glass. (laughs) And it was going. It's a sign of sexual dominance, just like the penguin. Again, Brian, they love you. Oh, my God. (laughs) There were a lot of people watching this thing. They were like, good. Well, I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I think someone ran away to barf. It was so disgusting. (laughs) You know, there's like the monkey's cliche. This was beyond that. Oh, it was so upsetting. Brian, that monkey store doesn't sound so bad. I know it was bleeped, but it doesn't sound so bad. It's not that it was necessarily bad. It just hurt my tender heart and has stuck with me for a while. The monkey pulled away from the glass and was like, we call it the aristocrat. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the aristocrats comedy movie is the only time where I've ever felt nauseated watching something. Really? I don't even remember whose joke it was or what they were saying. But there was a point where someone said something and I felt sick and I thought, holy fuck, I've never felt that ever. <laughs> wow. From a joke. <laughs> From a joke they were just orally telling. Um, not even something I saw. It was wild. Amazing. All right. Peach 2. For a project I'm working on, I bought a green screen to have at my house. And I'm very happy I have a green screen for the first time. It's the kind where you just pull it up and it just stays. You don't need to like put it on a pole or anything. Audrey is very excited. <laughs> not because of what you can do with it, but just by the fact that we have a green screen. She was pointing at it and being like, it's so green. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I was like, that's the point, honey. She doesn't know what a green screen is for or what you can use it for. She has no clue. She just likes that we have a big green screen that's a very fun color. So She is going to lose her fucking mind when you show her what a green screen does. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm going to take some pictures of her in front of it and then, like, put her in space and stuff, you know? Yeah. Don't, like... Mac cameras have like, oh, replace your background for you. And then like, it'll just work super well because you have a green screen. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You could use OBS and and live key it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Let us know how that goes because that sounds awesome. And my final peach is someone else's lemon. How do I want to lead into this? (laughs) Brian, were you shooting fireworks at my house last night? Look, I was not shooting fireworks at your house. I was playing with a mortar. And the mortar shot fireworks at your house. <laughs> so did I do it? No. Was it a result of my actions? No comment. 
But I, I don't want to get into that. My lawyer listens to this podcast, Brian. I hope you know that. <laughs> you referring to Jory? <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> so, okay. It's about Cardi B, as most of my peaches are. <laughs> Cardi B had trouble getting her most recent song on iTunes, which makes me feel so good because we have endless problems trying to get iTunes to list our music. Like, and it's not just us. There's something about iTunes where they just take forever to put shit up. And for every time we have a problem with it, we'd be like, oh, this is like the indie artist has it so rough, blah, blah, blah. And seeing that one of the biggest artists in the world today is having like iTunes problems, I was like, okay, it's not just us. They just kind of suck. So I feel bad for her that she had some issues with her new single. I think she'll be fine. Yes. You know, it's just nice to know that this is like a common problem and it's not just us. It's because the platform sometimes is hard to work with. Did Cardi put them on public blast? You know, you're going to be surprised to hear that the answer is yes, that she was vocal <laughs> about her displeasure. Yeah, go figure. Listen, folks, I think we need to really just do away with all the streaming platforms, get rid of the traditional mode of doing music, and just go back to the the old ways of just standing in front of people's houses and scream singing. <laughs> I mean, that's what everybody in my neighborhood thinks is the way to share music. <laughs> to just stand outside and sing it. It's caroling in July. Yeah, they love it. Pulling out the fucking fireworks! <laughs> okay, the name of the song is Up. I haven't heard this. But go give her a listen. She's a burgeoning artist. Really use the support. Yeah, an up-and-coming artist. Elise, thank you so much for being here today. This was awesome. It was really fun to talk to you. Thank you both for having me. You're both so delightful and thoughtful. And this was a pleasure. Hey, you are. Oh, you guys are. <laughs> I think we should all sign up for Club Penguin and Agreed. You know, reconvene on there. I will. Wait, Brian, we should do that for a mini so <laughs> Yes, I'm totally down. Absolutely will. And then we can catfish a bunch of kids. <laughs> Got him. Hey, kids, what are the last four numbers of your parents' credit card? <laughs> Just asking. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> is a joke. Fortnite. I say this a lot, but one of the joys of this podcast is getting to catch up with friends we don't get to see much. And Elisa, it's just so much fun to spend this time with you and reconnect and just get to talk for a while. It was a pleasure. And I know you've only had one repeat guest, but if you ever want another one, let me know. Yes. I would love it. Elise, where can people find you online? Is there anything that you want to plug? I am on Funhouse almost daily and on social media at Elise Willems. I released a book a couple months ago. It's kind of a children's novel, A Night in Halloween House. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. You can buy it on Amazon, unfortunately. <laughs> it's the only <laughs> place I have it for sale. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's it for me. Beautiful. Folks, thank you for joining us here today. And also worth mentioning, we put merch on sale last week and then most of it sold out. The beanie sold out in uh, 10 minutes. So if you missed it, I'm sorry. We have more stuff coming soon that is going to be very cool. And yes, we will have more hats. So stay tuned if you want to put podcast content on your body. And if you happen to be a t-shirt size small, well, you're in luck because <laughs> there are a couple of those left. Any five of you with size small, by the time this episode is out, they're probably gone. So as a late night promise. The severity to your voice when you said, don't worry, we will have more hats. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. I don't want people's poor little heads to feel cold. Anyway, folks, thank you for being here. As always, stay safe. Come hard. Uh, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> we, we had not discussed anything really vaguely sexual up until the entire two hours we've been recording. And I saw it coming. It's like a truck coming down the highway in the middle of the night. I was like, 
Get ready, Elise. <laughs> this is our sign-off now. You know, it's just important. I mean, Walter Cronkite is just <laughs> looking down from somewhere. He's coming in his grave. Yeah. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. It has to stop here. Uh, Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>